News of Adam spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. I don't think we have our standard recording set up today, um, so I'm going to see if I get a voice recording there for our podcast. Um, I invite you to join me in prayer. Our God of grace, we're hearing a story about Jesus beginning his ministry, a real live flesh and blood person that a lot of people knew and watched him grow up. Um, and, and who really had no idea what it was all about, all the fuss, all the energy, all the sense of sort of legitimate confidence that he seemed to exude. And in many ways, we come this morning from lives that are chaotic and going in different directions. Um, and we, we, in some ways, are confused and we don't know exactly what to expect or what you have in store for us. As we sit here, as we open some part of our consciousness to you and to what you might be saying, our prayer is that you meet us with your gracious touch, your gracious voice, your gracious presence in our life. Because there are hurts in this room there are exhausting issues in our lives that we keep going around and around with. There's depression, and there's great joy. There's great confidence in belief, and there's great doubt. And none of us can figure it all out. We're all in need of something greater than us to, to help us sew it all together, piece it together, and give us some sense of hope, some sense of direction. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We pray now that your, the message that you speak to us might be such that we, we know that we are beloved by you despite our mess, that the gospel is true, that, that you bring grace into broken lives, that, that almost if we don't enter into the brokenness, we'll never know the grace. And so we come bearing our brokenness and peeling it back for you to enter into and heal. Do that in this time mysteriously. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, the question of the week was, who's a really big deal? Someone said, Mom. She's pretty high up there. Someone says, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> no one wants to admit. <laughs> but there, one, so one of you is out there going, finally I get to express my adoration of Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> and I get to do it anonymously. Um, someone else says, the one you commit to have and to hold, etc., Someone else says God or Jesus. Someone else says the kind of person who shows up super early to church to wash the windows without being asked and knowing not many people will notice. Sorry if that's you. I did not notice. But <laughs> thank you. 
thank you, thank you, thank you. And someone else says, sadly, I usually think it's me. Um, what do we think of authority? People obviously were getting this opinion of Jesus or getting this sense that Jesus is a big deal. Maybe, you know, somehow organically from within, he was, he was, he was a, a, a big deal. But, you know, where does this authority come from? And what do we, how do we feel about it? It's a story about authority. And so we have to do a little business with what do we think about authority? How are we doing with authority? What's the cultural ethos around authority? What do people think about authority? As I, as I came here this morning and I said, I said something about, hey, uh, looks like the, the art here has changed. Last week there were a few pictures that were pretty inappropriate we had to take down for our worship service. And uh, Mark, who was here kind of setting up and doing sound, he said, um, he said well, I did, I did take one down that had a middle finger in it. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, I'd like to see it. And he said, yeah, he described it. I said, wait a minute, that sounds a little bit like what I'm gonna be talking about today. And he said, maybe we should put it back up. And so there it is. Did you guys notice over here? Isn't that provocative? Isn't that provocative? We've got the... the the United States flag, we've got some bullet holes, we've got the red turning into blood, and we've got the middle finger. We've got a, a young black man with his eyes closed. It speaks about authority and some of the issues today with authority. I don't want to speak for the painting. I'll just let it kind of speak for itself. Um, but we have, we have some issues with authority. I was reading, rereading a little bit of a book called Dharma Punks by the author Noah Levine. And um, I just love the raw nature of his description of a spiritual, spiritual journey that leads him from a, like kind of extreme punk rock and skater, Santa Cruz culture, all the way to Buddhist practice. And so the, you know, the title of his book and of his life is like Dharma Punks. Um, and so he, he's talking about being young and growing up around the punk ethos, he says, uh, through listening to punk music, I knew that the punks understood how I felt and had committed myself to live fast and die young in true Sid Vicious style. I was trained by the skate and surf punks I knew to hate all the peace punk protesting saps. He says, to me, punk rock was summed up by in two words. I'll give you the cleaned up uh, version. Screw authority. I think about that painting behind me. There is that ethos, right? That suspicion of authority. And often really convinced that most authority, most of the time, does not have my best interest in mind. As they say, where we're all going, and they ask me to march in step with the uniform. And so we have some allergies to authority and we have, we're sort of terrified even sometimes of ourselves being viewed or looking like an authority towards others. And it keeps us sometimes from saying honest things to other people because we don't want to be that person. We don't want to, um, you know, get in people's business. It's their business after all. We have issues around authority. We're suspicious of authority. In Animal Farm, 
What do the pigs do? I don't know if you've read that, uh, that wonderful analysis of authority um, from an earlier era in our, in our world's history. And that dutiful horse, I forget his name, the horse who's dutiful and loyal to the authority and is a workhorse, literally, and he just keeps going and grinding, and he's kind of the center of the power, it seems, as I re- recall reading that book. And then what ends up, what, what happens, even without him knowing he's been sent off, he's been sold to be turned into glue by the pigs who are in charge. So we... We're suspicious. We don't want to be the horse, in other words, right? We've learned our lesson culturally, and our consciousness says, um, don't be naive, don't be manipulated. We're afraid that someone's going to exact a toll that they are unwilling to endure themselves. We're afraid that they're going to use the blood, sweat, blood and sweat of the masses to build something for us that will be built on our backs. And yet, um, truthfully, something inside us never fully gives up. Something inside of us still kind of wonders, still kind of says, um, even if we won't admit it, there's something still longing for a good authority, for the right authority, for something to lead us, for something to do what we can't do. Another Another dip into Dharma punks and a quote by Noah Levine as he continues on in his journey and is now dealing with some of his demons. And let me just read a more extended quote as he kind of grapples with. And you see sort of, despite all this screw authority, you see an opening for authority coming in his life. He says, I was even trying or I was even willing He's talking about one of his mentors in a 12-step program. I was even willing to try Don's suggestion that I start praying. My next assignment was to pray three times a day for my higher power's guidance. I was supposed to turn my will over to the care of a loving, caring power greater than myself. I felt like such a jerk. All my life I had made fun of religious freaks, and there I was on my knees praying. It took quite a while to get used to it. And I didn't tell anyone except Drew and a couple other sober friends. Prayer was like my meditation practice, something I did alone and never talked about. I was actually a little ashamed that I had become so weak that I had stooped to spiritual practice. This was not punk and certainly didn't fit in with my anti-everything attitude, but it really worked. The more I prayed, the better I felt. For the first time in my life, I was beginning to feel comfortable in my own skin. I was starting to have faith that everything was really going to be okay, that I wasn't going to have to kill myself. It was such a relief to begin to rely on this higher power stuff to not have to control everything all the time. You might not resonate with all of that quote, and that's just one person expressing their raw emotions as they found some meaning and stumbled through life, but that last bit really gets me because I think if we are if we detach from every final thread of any sense of legitimate authority we end up drowning under the need to control everything ourselves we have to be our authority which sounds amazing so often with so many issues I'm I'm on the throne in this part of my life stand back 
You know, I don't need you. I don't need you speaking into this part of my life. In so many parts of the sound, it feels great and it feels like relief and freedom. And then, but then put all together, if your life is constructed that way, um, eventually it becomes untenable. You can't hold it all up yourself. You haven't gotten to that point yet. I, I, I almost don't want to be the bad guy and tell you that someday you will. So it's unsustainable, I think, to be your own authority. According to the Christian faith, the good news for all of us comes, especially in the story. It is exhibited in the story. Jesus comes with exactly the authority that we need. You know, it sounds too good be, to be true. It sounds like something a pastor would say. I know all that stuff, and I still there's nothing I can do but just say Say the simple truth of what this passage is trying to bring into our lives. You may not believe it. You may think it seems too good to be true. That's what this passage is saying. Jesus begins his ministry. He comes out, and what is he doing? He's um, going to the synagogue where people have worship, where, they're, where they talk about God, and he comes with a teaching about God. He's teaching, and these are some of the key words in this passage that are meant to kind of highlight and say this is what it's about. People are amazed He's bringing teaching, but what they're mostly amazed about is that Jesus has some kind of authority. We're given the example in the middle of the text about the evil spirits. It's like exhibit A. Um, Jesus takes on the authority of, uh, takes on the other competing authorities, and he does it definitively. The authorities, the, the ways that powers are working to create disintegration and chaos and confusion and hurt and ruin, we may not have examples all around us culturally for whatever reason of evil spirits possessing people. Maybe you've seen more of it than I have. I haven't. So maybe you don't see that, but we see what this passage is trying to tell us. We see ways that powers are kind of battling to, and there's a, there's a direction of chaos and disintegration and struggle at work. No one can deny that. Jesus comes right into it. Exhibit A is driving out this evil spirit. A spirit that was causing disintegration and brokenness in community. Drives it out. Restores. Restores community. Restores persons. Restores peace. That's what Jesus has come to do. Authoritatively. And Jesus... In these stories, in the whole collection of stories about Jesus, we get this picture of someone who exudes an authority that's very uncommon, very rare, kind of never before seen thing. And there's no historical records anywhere in the accounts of Jesus and the stories about Jesus, no legitimate records that say anything about kind of what we all love to do, right, is uncover and discover the real Jesus. Aha, you know, the aha moment. The expose. There just isn't that with the collection of historical writings about Jesus, as much as we'd like there to be. There isn't this place where we say, yeah, but what about all the evidence of him being a phony? Yeah, but what about all the evidence of him having ulterior motives? You know, he was really going after this. You know, what about um, the way that he was such a hypocrite? And those stories just aren't a part of the true collection of stories that document this person, Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I think we bring these kind of doubts, and especially if you're not in the crowd saying, oh, yeah, I, I believe all this stuff, and I'm a Jesus person, and, um, you know, you might be already convinced, but there's all those who, who aren't saying that, and, and we need to be honest that they're just 
there isn't that expose, uncover the real Jesus out there. You can look for it and tell me if you find it, but I haven't. So Jesus is coming, and he has this sort of credibility that just comes out of him, that just exudes the sense that the authority seems legitimate, and you're not going to be able to scratch and peel under it and find that thing that says, yep, I knew it. All authority is broken and messed up. And instead, you see this astonishing and incredibly attractive case that Jesus makes to all the world for his authority. That's where the whole story goes. The story goes, let me just summarize it using some of Jesus' own words. I am the good shepherd. So there's a picture of authority, a shepherd with sheep. I am the good shepherd who tells all the sheep where to go, where I want them to go. That's not the second half of what he says. He says, I am the good shepherd, and he says, who gives his life for the sheep. This is the astonishing, attractive case Jesus makes to you and to me for his authority. This is the intro. This is the nice to meet you. I'm Jesus. Here's why you should give me a a hearing. Here's, Here's why you might consider me as a legitimate authority in your life, because I lay down my life for the sheep. Contra, contradicting all human authority, you know, which, like, we, like I just mentioned, they tend to extract a toll that they're unwilling to endure themselves. Jesus endures things to save us from them. We know of human authority that likes to use our blood and sweat to build something for themselves. Jesus uses his blood and sweat to build something for us, literally on the cross. When someone first is finding out about Jesus, being introduced to Jesus. We're introduced to someone who is the one who extracted the toll so that you wouldn't have to, so that he wouldn't be asking it of you. He comes with healing and restoration in his hands and in his feet, and it is literally in the hands and his feet which show the marks of the nails that put him on a cross in his sacrificial life, of giving him his life for the sheep. And so you have the king, the, you have, as the Bible and as Christians believe, you have the legitimate authority sitting who sits on a throne, who has the rights to the throne. You have this king allowing himself to be arrested, allowing himself to be beaten, allowing himself to be mocked, tortured to death, to rescue those who couldn't save themselves. Not saving himself as a way of saving those who couldn't save themselves. This is where the story is leading when it says, the people were all so amazed that they asked one another, they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey? News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. In this story, oops, music stand isn't as wide as I thought. In this story, we have Jesus. We have Jesus becoming, embodying an invitation for him to come into our lives. It's an invitation that never gets easier. It's exactly the same for me as it is for you. 
It's this invitation to let Jesus and his teachings have authority in our lives. Let Jesus in to those areas where you and I are comfortably sitting on the throne. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but I realized as thinking through this message that this is a message more than any other where I have to just say, I am right there with you. And that the only way this message is transformative is if I stop my preaching, if I stop looking out and and imagining what it is for you and I stop and say, where in my life do I need to kind of get off my throne and let Jesus and his authority in? Where is that? Where am I kind of white-knuckling some things in my life and I need to release? Where does Jesus have a better plan than what I have, even though I think mine is pretty amazing? And it might take me and it might take you um, looking into his teachings. That's another thing that was prominent in the story. His teaching. He came with teaching, a new teaching and with authority. It may take you looking into his teachings and saying, okay, If I can trust this Jesus, then what are the places in which his teachings kind of push me and nudge me? And there's all kinds of them. They get into all kinds of places. Flip through. Look at some of his parables. Look at some of his stories, his wisdom. Where is he pushing you? And maybe even where are the things that that he mentions? And you say, oh, that one's not for me. And I would say, that one might, might actually be the one that's for you. And, and I invite you to humbly communicate with each other, talk together, and be in community in this pursuit because there are people here who have gone through what you've gone through and who have let Jesus into areas of their life that you are considering or terrified to let Jesus into. And so we sort of need each other to, to say, to, to, to give the picture of Jesus' valid, legitimate, loving, tender authority as we struggle with the places in which we need it most. Let's pray. God, may we hear your voice in this challenge and in this beautiful picture. Would you help overcome our addiction to being on the throne? And would you convince our hearts that we can trust you? That you're not going to extract a toll that you haven't been willing to take. Give us good examples. Give us good leaders who don't think so highly of themselves, who are willing to give their life for the sheep as well. And when we see those who are manipulative and hypocritical, may we, may we shield ourselves and guard ourselves and run to you. Not run from legitimate authority because we see bad examples of it, but run to you, the legitimate, loving, tender authority. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. continues with an offering time. While the musical offering is being played, we use this time of worship to give back to God and God's work from what he's entrusted to us. If you're visiting, a special reminder, this is not a moment of pressure to give, but we do love getting those contact cards uh, and finding ways to answer the questions or follow up with your needs. You find the contact cards in your bulletin. Let's frame this moment by joining together with the offering prayer.
God of all peoples and God of all places, we present these offerings that they may be used to extend your liberating reign. With them we offer our varied mysteries that each of us may be a part of your answer to the cries of the world. 